Whether you are here in the room or joining us online, I hope you will take your Bibles and open to Mark chapter 10. Mark 10. As you turn there, I want to remind you of where we were last week in the passage just preceding this one. Last week, we considered the story of a man who came to Jesus. He came eagerly. He came passionately. He came humbly. But he left different than he came. He left sad and sorrowful. It's a story of a man. We, we know him as the rich young ruler. And what we learned was that he was a man that most people, most who knew him, would have considered him a blessed and godly man. He lived according to the law. He followed the religious traditions. He was rich. He was a ruler. These are things that people would have viewed as favor from God bestowed on him. So the man who by all accounts had a good life. And he was confident in the life that he had built. But of course we considered that it was in fact that confidence in the life that he had built and his love for that life that caused him to walk away. He walked away in sadness because he realized that he could not give up what he had established and what he had. He came to Jesus with the most important question any of us could ever ask. He came to Jesus and asked the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? There's no question more important than this. He asked the right question, and we have to assume that he came assuming that he knew the answer. I think he believed that he had done all that he needed to do, and he was coming to Jesus, maybe not expecting anything else but confirmation. But Jesus told him what he expects of him and of all of us, that the way we inherit eternal life is by trusting and depending completely on him with nothing held back. Jesus, knowing this man's heart, told him, the only way you can inherit eternal life is to give up all the things that you trust in more than me. Sell all that you have and give it to the poor. Come and follow me. Jesus was telling him, not that we gain eternal life by what we do, but that we gain eternal life by humble faith and full dependence. And for this man, that would mean getting rid of all the things that stood in his way. But what we considered last week was that for him, the cost seemed too high. How could he give up the life that he had? How could he walk away from all the things that he found his security in? So while he came to Jesus passionately and eagerly and humbly, he left sad and sorrowful. And this is true for all of us. We are called to give up all the things we trust in, to trust him fully. We read earlier, back in Mark chapter 8, Jesus says that those who come to him are to deny themselves first and to take up our cross and to follow him. Last week we saw an example of this man who had to make a choice, and the choice is ours as well. Will we give ourselves fully to Jesus? Maybe you've been pondering the questions we ended with last week. 
Is there anything that we love or trust in more than him? Is there any part of you that's hanging on to something that you're unwilling to let go of for the sake of Christ? Is there anything you say, Jesus, you can have it all, but this is mine? For the rich young ruler, his mine was his possessions. And the cost of giving these things up seemed too high, and so he walked away. And we left last week asking ourselves the same question. Is there anything I'm unwilling to give up for the sake of Christ? Anything we love more than Jesus? Any possession, any pleasure, any person? Maybe as you think about that, you find yourself alongside the rich young ruler. Maybe asking, is it worth it? Is following Jesus, giving up everything, full devotion to him, is it worth it? Well, this morning as we come to Mark 10, we're actually picking up where we left off. Probably should have put it all together last week, but for the sake of um, your comfort, we're breaking it into two parts. So we're picking up right in the middle of the story where Jesus explains to his disciples that while you may have to give up everything, it is worth it. The reality is, for some, following Jesus means walking away from a life that they have known and loved for a very long time. For some, following Jesus will mean losing relationships. So the question we'll be answering is, is what we gain in following Jesus worth what we are giving up? We'll find the answer in Mark chapter 10. It will be in verses 28 through 31. Hear the word of God. Peter began to say to Jesus, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life but many who are first will be last and the last first the grass withers and the flower fades but the word of our god will stand forever as that god would add his blessing to the reading and the preaching of his word If you have the notes, you may have seen the title, The Gain of Giving Up Everything. The Gain of Giving Up Everything. As we left off last week, this was clear, that following Jesus is a high calling and it is a costly calling. As Jesus explained these things to the rich young ruler, he had an audience, at least the disciples were there listening to this conversation. They heard what Jesus said to this man and then they saw him walk away. And then Jesus explained to them how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. Difficult because we must trust him completely and especially for those who have much, can be hard. He explains these things to the disciples and then gives us hope. That great hope we ended with last week. 
that to follow Jesus in this way, it's impossible for us. But nothing's impossible with God. In fact, with God, all things are possible. Now as we pick up, we hear Peter chime in, and usually as a spokesman for the disciples, Peter speaks up, and he says to Jesus in verse 28, See, we have left everything and followed you. Now, this is one of those times where we really would be helped to be able to hear Peter's tone, right? What does he mean? Is he looking for a, a pat on the back? Jesus, he didn't follow you, but look at us. We have given up everything and followed you. Maybe it's self-congratulatory, which would not be out of character for the disciples. Those who debated just a couple chapters ago who was the greatest. Perhaps he was proud of himself in this moment. Or perhaps it's more of a question. Jesus, we have left everything and followed you. What does that mean for us? Jesus has laid out what it takes to enter the kingdom of God. You must give up everything. And maybe this is Peter inquiring, have we done what you require? And what we know is that the disciples, while far from perfect, that has been well documented, far from perfect, they had given up much to follow Jesus. These are men who walked away from their jobs, walked away from their safe lives, men who risked their own reputations to follow Jesus. And I tend to think that what Peter is doing here is posing a question. See, Jesus, we have left everything to follow you. Have we done enough? But regardless of Peter's intent, what we see is that Jesus begins to provide assurance to those who have made sacrifices. He wants them to know that there is provision and reward for those who follow him. Up to this point, we have seen the cost. We have seen the difficulty. And now Jesus reassures them that those who follow him will not be at a loss. Even if we give up what is most precious, we will not be without. But before we talk about his provision, let's just consider the list that he gives and consider the things that he suggests that some will have to give up. House, or brothers, or sisters, or mother, or father, or children, or lands. Now, we know that there's many things that people will have to give up to follow Christ. For the, the rich man, it was his possessions. But I think we can all agree that this list includes the things that would rank most precious to most people. Your mom, your dad, your brothers, your sisters. When he says house, we, houses for us come and go, but for them, a house was a family thing. Land would be inheritance. It's all wrapped up together with their family, isn't it? The family home, the family land. Jesus is explaining here that there will, some who, will be some who have to give up the things that are most precious to them. And maybe last week, maybe last week was easy for you because maybe you just really focused on the rich man and his, his issue and you thought, well, well, riches isn't my problem, so no worries there. I would give up all that I have to follow Christ. Well, perhaps you need to consider this, that the calling of Jesus could be a calling 
that could separate you from those whom you love. Now, granted, for most of us, living where we live and living when we live, this probably isn't too much of a fear. Maybe you don't know anyone who has ever had to choose between Jesus and their family. And I would say, if you don't know anyone who has ever had to choose between Jesus and their family, you live in a unique time and a unique place. Because there are examples throughout history when this was the choice. And there are examples even today. And not just overseas, but nearby. For them, it was common. Think about the Pharisees. Their commitment to their tradition, their commitment to their religion. Can you imagine if a son or a daughter of one of these Pharisees who had been testing Jesus decided to follow him? Can you think about the separation that would have caused? This was a, a real threat in the time of Jesus, and it is a t something that continues today. There are people today who have to choose between family and Christ. The easy example is those who are raised in devoutly Muslim homes. And maybe you've heard of testimonies like this. It's a common reality. That when someone chooses to leave that faith, they do so knowing that they may never be welcomed by their family again. Could risk being disowned by parents, denounced by siblings, written off by their children as a traitor. And you have to know it's not something that only happens on the other side of the world. There are examples right here among us. As so many of varying faiths live even in our community, there are people who are making this decision. Will I choose Christ or will I choose my family? They may lose the chance to go to the family home to inherit family land. And it's not only for those who come from other faiths. Sometimes we lose our family because as we choose to follow Jesus, we recognize that the way we see the world changes. Isn't it true that following Christ changes the way we live? It changes the things we value. It changes the things we stand for and the things we stand against. And if we are faithful to Christ... We may find that maybe ever so slowly, a separation begins to occur between those who we were raised with and ourselves. As our convictions grow farther and farther apart and our values become more and more evidently different, we may find that there's a choice. We can back away from our commitment to Christ and maintain our family relationships or we can push in and risk losing them. Some of you, I know, have felt this tension. You've felt this struggle. What we see in this passage is Jesus acknowledging the reality that when we choose to follow him, it will come at a great cost. And so the question worth asking is, do we love Jesus enough that we'd be willing to endure that kind of separation? that kind of loss? Do we love him enough that we would choose him over the people even whom we consider most precious? It's a hard question. But perhaps 
and maybe just because it doesn't seem like a reality, you say, yes, of course. I would give up all to follow Christ. And if that is your testimony, I'm glad for that, but let me push you just a little bit. Is there any sin you're hanging on to that you struggle to leave behind? Because if you say you're willing to leave mother and father and sister or brother, but you won't let go of your sin, then perhaps your commitment isn't as deep as you would think or claim. Are there things that you give yourselves to that get in the way of serving Christ and others? Maybe for you, you're consumed with your work and you make all the justification for why it is good and right, but at the end of the day, you would not give it up for the sake of Christ. Or maybe it's your hobbies. And time and time again, you find yourself elevating those hobbies over the opportunity to serve Christ and his church. I want to take the opportunity to admonish you, to encourage you, Maybe you say, I would give anything. However, you're not striving to fight sin and you're not prioritizing your relationship with Christ. Maybe you're unwilling to speak of him for fear of your reputation. If that's the case, then maybe there's still work to be done in your heart. Maybe there are sacrifices you still need to make. What we saw last week is that Jesus does call us to give up things that are hard to part with. There are sacrifices to be made. Perhaps the cost for some is higher than the cost for others. But the call of Jesus is for us to have hearts that are willing to give it all. Now, that's not the main point of this text. I wanted to consider the example. He lists these things. But the main point of this text is Jesus saying that even if we give up all that... There's provision. There's blessing. This passage is about how God cares for those who surrender all. What we see here is there's much to be gained for those who lose it all. Start in verse 29 again. Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. I wonder if you ever come to a passage of Scripture and you think, have you ever had this line of thinking? God made the choice of every word that we have in Scripture. And he gave us this one. Aren't you glad that he acknowledges because this is the reality for many. Many have lost even their families. Aren't you glad that Jesus chose to acknowledge this may happen? And he doesn't stop there. He goes on to say, and if that is your story, if you give up all, even family for me, you will not be without. What we have in this passage are two realities. We've already established the first, that following Jesus will be costly but also that Jesus makes provision and gives blessings for those who follow him, both now and later. And I think most of us are very aware, we, we, we confess quickly, 
I know that in eternity I will be blessed. But what this passage tells us is there, there is blessing today for those who choose to give everything. Let's start with those promises, the promises for the present. He says that anyone who gives up any of these things for, for his sake and for the gospel, not because you're a jerk to your family, okay? Let's be clear. We're called to walk in love, to speak truth in love. So this isn't a promise for those who bully themselves out of a family. But for those who lose their family for the sake of Christ and for his gospel. He says this, you will receive a hundredfold. And not just in eternity. He says now, in this time. What does that mean? Is he really suggesting that if you lose your house, you'll get a hundred houses? If you lose your brother, you'll get a hundred brothers? Or if you lose your mother, you'll get a hundred mothers? Well, of course, there is some hyperbole here, but the hyperbole makes a point. Jesus is saying that we will gain more than we lose, and not just by a little bit, but by a lot. So what does that look like practically? I believe that as Jesus speaks about the relationships that we lose and the relationships we gain, that he's pointing us towards the blessing that we find in the family of God. It's one of those incredible blessings that when we're united to Christ, and this is something we, we talk about a lot, that when we come into union with Christ, not only do we come into union with him, but we come into union with all those who are his. And this is a common metaphor in scriptures that when we come to Christ, we are adopted into the family of God, which means that we come into a family of brothers and sisters. We could even say, in a sense, mothers and fathers and children. And consider this. While there is great value and a sweet gift in the families we're born into, That the family of God, in many ways, is every bit as real as the family we're born into. In fact, it's more permanent than the family we were born into. I think we should remember, as we, as we consider what, what's being said here, the, the scene earlier in Mark. Remember back in Mark chapter 3? Jesus is in a house and there's a crowd around him and his mother and his brothers come to where he is, and they're, they're trying to get to him, but they can't get to him because of the crowds. Let me read for you, starting in Mark 3, verse 31. It says, And Jesus' mother and his brothers came and were standing outside. And they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. Jesus answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Now, we considered this passage in great detail uh, last year. And, and be, let's be clear about this. Jesus is not saying here that family is to be discarded. This isn't an insult against the family. In fact, if you read through the Gospels, you'll see over and over again the love that Jesus has for his family, especially his mother. I don't think we should read this and 
somehow get a suggestion that Jesus has a low view of the family. He designed the family. He gave us the family as a good gift. What we see here is not meant to disparage the family, but to lift up the family of God. He says that all those who do the will of God are his brother and sister and mother. He's helping us consider that to be in a relationship with him is to be joined or adopted into the family of God. And based on this reality, he says what he says in Mark chapter 10, that those who leave those who are closest to them to follow Jesus will not be left alone. You'll be welcomed into another family. Now, let's be careful here. What we don't want to do is diminish the pain that's involved. For someone to have to leave behind a mother or a brother, that's significant, isn't it? However, we also do not want to diminish what Jesus is saying we gain, because it too is significant. He's saying, if you are his, you belong to his family. And so you have brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers and children who love you. So while we don't want to diminish the pain of leaving an earthly family, let's also not diminish the benefit we gain as we enter the family of God. What we see here is that the person who leaves any of these things for the sake of the gospel can do so knowing that they will gain fellowship with other believers and welcome into the houses and lands of others. This is what Jesus is teaching, and it's something that we strive to take seriously as a church. We created our purpose statement. We have it here as a reminder. You see that big word at the top. It says, we are a family. We exist to glorify God by helping people experience life change through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We believe we're more than a group of people. We're more than a club, more than a social society. Jesus calls us family. And he tells us that there will be some who leave their earthly family to join our family. Church, that is something to be taken seriously. Because if there are those who are walking away from everything and looking to this, what a responsibility we have to one another. We are far more than a group of people that come and sit in here Sunday after Sunday and leave. No, we are people whose lives are to be joined as family. For practical help, like when a tree falls because of ice, and far beyond that, to be someone who weeps when they weep and rejoices when they rejoice, someone to whom sin can be confessed, and comfort granted. We are called to live as brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers. And I, I just want to encourage you, if you think of those who are part of our church as just people who happen to be a part of the same group you're a part of, you have way undersold what God has called us to. And this is why it should be unbelievably painful for us that we've been separated from so many for so long. Some of you online, we love you and 
our hearts do break. I know yours do do too, because you're separated from us and we're separated from you, and that hurts because of what God has formed in us. We're his family and family to one another. There are some who, for the sake of Christ and the gospel, will lose their family, not by their own choice. I think there's also application here for those who, for the sake of the mission, must be separated from their family. Consider our missionaries who have left their homes and gone to other parts of the world. There are people whose families do love them, but they're separated by miles or even oceans because of the call of Christ. And this promises for them as well. You may lose the comfort of living near your mother or father or brother or sister, but for the sake of Christ, you can know that he'll provide for you through the family of God. We see here is this present provision. He says that you'll be granted a hundredfold now in this time. And then we're going to go and consider the the future reward, the future provision. But before we do, maybe you noticed an addition to that second list that seems out of place. Look at verse 30 again. He says, there are those who will receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions. One of these things is not like the other. And while it seems like persecution is out of place in this list of blessings, I think this is Jesus' way of reminding us that as you enter the family of God, you enter a family that will have difficulties and face difficulties. As the family of God, we are hated by the world. So if you leave your family for the sake of the gospel, you are given a new family, but this new family is a family that expects to be persecuted. So recognize that the family you're joining is a family under attack. We have a reminder here that we live in a world that is broken by sin and a world that opposes God. And if you choose to follow Jesus in this world, there will be great blessings, but there will also be difficulties. You will gain a family, but you will also gain opponents. Following Jesus will bring suffering in this life. But thankfully, what we have here is Jesus saying it's worth it. You may lose so much of what you formerly loved here, but you will gain a hundredfold what you lose. There will be persecution, there will be suffering, but it is worth it. Not only now, but we see in verse 30, in the age to come, we gain eternal life. And remember, this is where the conversation started, isn't it? The rich young ruler comes to Jesus and asks him, How do I gain eternal life? Jesus answers, the way to eternal life is through following him, by becoming his disciple, willing to give up everything. The rich young ruler saw the things of this life as more valuable, even than eternal life. And I think what was true of him is true for many of us today. So I was thinking about this passage, I was just considering... What a lousy view I think many of us have of eternity. What I mean is that most of us don't give eternity much thought, and when we do, we don't give it much weight. Many of us 
practically live as if this is all there is. And we may have a theology of eternity, but it's not changing anything about today. We forget how unbelievably short this life is, and we vastly underestimate the value and the length and the weight of what is to come. And if we truly believed of the value and the weight of what is to come, it would change how we live today. I think many of us are deeply invested in the things of this world to the neglect of things that last forever. Too many of us are giving more attention to investing in retirement than we give to investing in eternal things. We give more energy to caring for our physical body than we do to caring for our soul. We've proven over the last year what great lengths we will go to to protect those we love from a virus. And there is a place for that. But how much more care should we give to helping those around us prepare for what is to come? My point is that we do not think enough about eternity. It's not a motivator for many of us. And because we don't think about eternity, this verse may not mean much to us. Jesus is saying, following him, giving up everything is worth it because you'll gain eternal life. And we say, yeah, yeah. But consider the weight of what we're talking about. We may have 70, 80, 90 years up against eternity? And we're going to invest all in this time? God forbid. Why should we be willing to give up the things of this world? Because eternity with Jesus is better. Isn't that what we sang about earlier? Why should we be willing to forego earthly riches? Because eternity with Jesus is better. Why should we abstain from things that seem pleasurable to us in the moment? Because eternity with Jesus is better. Why should we be willing to leave houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers and children and lands? Because eternity with Jesus is better. It's reminded of the song we sing together at times. We don't sing it much now because I need Gary. I'm not that good. But when Gary comes back, we will sing again, a mighty fortress is our God. And in that fourth verse, we sing, let good and kindreds go, this mortal life also, the body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. It's a reminder of the value of eternity. And I think some of us probably need to spend more time being reminded of what is to come. Because if we have a proper view of what lies ahead, it will change the way we live today. There is nothing in this life worth having or holding on to, reputation or money or even family, if it keeps you from gaining eternal life. And if you read the scriptures, there's no way to miss this. The hope of what is to come far outweighs what we gain in this life. Brian read for us earlier the words of Paul. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart, to be with Christ, for that is far better. It's better. Eternity is better. Life in the presence of God is better. But while we confess these things, I wonder if we really believe them. Because many of us are slow to do anything that would diminish our comfort today. We invest far more time and effort in our enjoyment of this life than we do in preparation for eternity. Now, has God given us good gifts to be enjoyed today? Family and things and comforts? Yeah, much to be enjoyed. But let us not enjoy his good gifts to the neglect of the mission that he's given us. We must be faithful. Many of us are glad to do things for Christ if they don't cost much. But we're not willing to make any kind of significant sacrifice. So I think we need to consider carefully the words of Jesus. To consider there's nothing in this life worth holding on to that keeps us from eternal life. Not that we earn it, it's given to us. It's a gift that comes through faith, but faith means full dependence on God, nothing withheld. Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake or the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time Houses, brothers, sisters, and mothers, and children, and lands with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. I referred to it before, it bears repeating again, the words of Jim Elliott, the missionary to Ecuador who was killed by the very people he went to serve. Mr. Elliott said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You are no fool if you give up what you cannot keep in order to gain that which you cannot lose. I'm afraid that too often we're tempted to give ourselves to things that are temporary, things that we will lose. We invest everything in things that will go away and invest very little in things that will last forever. We pour ourselves out for position. We pour ourselves out for money. We pour ourselves out for success and we risk losing what's of eternal value. We allow others to go into eternity and we don't so much as speak. Jesus tells his disciples, men who had given up everything, for you there are blessings in this life and then there's life eternal. And if we're going to believe and live out what Jesus is saying here, we're going to have to do some adjusting of our ways of thinking because this kind of thinking doesn't come naturally. Sacrifice doesn't come naturally. Walking away from things that are precious does not come naturally. We are so trained to look at things through a worldly perspective. So most of us see people who are successful. We see people who are well-established. We see people who are well-adjusted. And we hold them up as the standard. No doubt the rich young ruler was a man who many wanted to be like. He had wealth. He had position. He was moral. Many would have said, I want to be like him, not the disciples. These fishermen who are wandering around this with this teacher. 
Many, if they had to choose, would say, I want to be like that guy. But that was a man who had chosen to walk away from Christ and given up eternity in the process. We have to learn to look through lenses that are different than the lenses of our world. Jesus pushes us to consider that the economy of the kingdom is different. We see that in verse 31. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Referred to it before as the upside-down kingdom. We have our way of thinking, our way of ranking people, but the ways of Jesus is different. They seem backwards or upside-down. Because Jesus doesn't look for those who are rich or powerful or beautiful, although some of you may be. He looks to those who are humble and full of faith. The truth is that in eternity, things will look different. Some who we would look to as first in this life, the rich, the powerful, and the successful, will not have a place in the kingdom of God. And many who are last in this life, the lowly and the poor and the weak, will be great in the kingdom of God. And it's not that riches are bad or that being poor is somehow noble. But it's about the position of our hearts. What we saw last week is that often those who have much in this life struggle to depend on God, while many who in this life have nothing else understand their need. As we pursue Jesus, we have to give up things we want to keep, but we will be given things we can never imagine. If we stake our lives on riches or relationships, ultimately we will not have anything to hang on to, no place to stand. But if we give up everything for the sake of Christ, we will gain a hundred times what we lose, and beyond that, eternal life. So what was the question we started with? Is giving up everything worth it? The cost is high, but what we've seen is that the gains far outweigh anything we would give up. So this morning, I just want to encourage you to take stock. I want to encourage you to ask yourself hard questions. What do you value the most? The things you see or the things of eternity? And if you think, I don't know, I don't even know how to answer that question. What do I value the most? Well, I have to go to work. How do I answer that question? Let me give you a test. Just a few questions. You, I'm sure you could make the test longer on your own. What does your schedule suggest that you value the most? That's question one. Trying to consider what you value. How do you spend your time? Question two. Pull up your bank account or your credit card statements. What does the way you spend your money suggest that you value the most? If you want to know what you value, consider the way you spend your time and consider the way you spend your money. These are really good indicators of what you value the most. And if at the end of your budget, there's nothing that's been given out of a sacrificial, generous spirit to others, maybe you don't value the things of God as much as you suggest that you do. And if your time and your calendar is full of all the things that you must do to further your position 
and your personal gain and very little time is given to the service of God and others, maybe you don't value the things of God as much as you say you do. And I I recognize that's hard to reckon with. But it's something we must all do. Third, what are your relationships and the way you use your relationships suggest that you value the most? What is your angle when you gain a friend? Is it for what you can get or for how you can serve? What about your spouse and your kids? Is this something you have because it makes you look well-adjusted to have a family and kids? Or do you look at your family and kids as an opportunity God has given you to serve and to point others towards Christ? What do your relationships and the way you use your relationships suggest that you value the most? Do we use the people we work with as people to step on in our pursuit of the next position? Or do we see the people around us, even those who may get in our way of promotion, as people to be loved and served for the sake of Christ? I know the temptations, how easy it can be to live based on the values of the world. But I want you to recognize that the call to follow Jesus is not something that can be regulated to Sunday mornings. Following Jesus should cost us something. We are called to give our lives. And I hope that you believe the words of Jesus, that no matter what you give up now, you won't be without. He will give you more both in this life and in the life to come. That's his promise to us. May we trust him.